Hey everyone, my name is Antonia Mandulia and you're listening to That Hockey Chick. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of That Hockey Chick. I know all the Leafs fans that are listening to this are... I don't even know what what you are all feeling. There's so many emotions flying around. Frustration, being upset, just being emotional all around. I Being angry, mad sad there's just it's been an emotional roller coaster this past week for least fans i don't know whether whoever's listening expected it to turn out like this i know a lot of people were saying once they went up 3-1 not to get excited and blah 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 i don't know it's just it's really confusing it's really frustrating but but we should not lose hope yet I'm going to go on this huge rant that I have planned at the end of the episode, so make sure you stay tuned to hear that. If you want to be pumped up for Game 7, please make sure you stay till the end of the episode. I promise you, it will be worth it. But until then, I want to go through an update of the playoffs and all the series around the league. Uh, A lot of them ended this week. All of them ended this week. Uh, The only one that's left is the Habs and the Leafs. And Round 2 actually also started on Saturday, so we're going to get into that as well and give some predictions. So let's start with the playoff update. Avs and Blues, we all know Colorado advanced. They outscored the Blues 20-7 to throughout the entire series. Very well deserving. There's just no, they just worked hard. There's literally no other way to say it. They swept, they worked hard. That's pretty much it. Bruins and Capitals, Bruins advanced. Like I said, I was really surprised that this one went this fast and that it went in favor of the Bruins I did not like no part of my brain ever processed the fact that Bruins would be advancing and that they would be able to do it in the fashion that they did but and I hate to say it they did look good they did look dangerous and we know from Bruins past history once they start winning once they pass a series once they you know keep advancing they just they virtually don't really stop um so it's definitely going to be interesting to see how they're able to or how they perform in the next series they play, which I'll be recapping. They, Like I said, they played the first game on Saturday. Regardless, I was really surprised with this one, but I guess it was should have been kind of expected. Jets versus Oilers, Jets advance. Again, this one was just, I don't even know, this one blew my mind more than the Bruins series did. Oilers blew a 4-1 lead in three minutes in the third period and the Jets won it in overtime to take the series. Honestly, the Jets were deserving of that win. After being able to come back like that, that's the team that deserves it. Um, And uh, Ellers was huge in his return with two goals and he had the game-winning goal, so I'm sure the Jets are happy that he was able to return for that game. One thing I want to talk about though, everyone was absolutely shitting on McDavid and calling him out for not performing well. I just want to talk about this because I don't like I don't like McDavid. I'm not a fan of his. I, I don't like him. Never have really ever since he came into the league. But I'm not going to make excuses and say that he's a bad player. He's a good player. He's an amazing player. He is a terrific player one of the best players in the league right now but I don't like him so that's I just want to clear that up I don't like him but I don't deny the fact that he is an amazing player now speaking on the fact that he is an amazing player when people were shitting on him we are talking about the same guy that got over a hundred points 100 points in 56 5 6 56 games I don't I don't think we were talking about the same person because that just doesn't doesn't make sense One guy is not able to single-handedly win the Stanley Cup. That is not possible. It's not possible at all. I don't care what argument you bring against that. You cannot rely on one guy to win the Stanley Cup for your team. Not possible. Trashing a guy who has a record-breaking season for your team is not the way to go. It doesn't make your fan base look good. It doesn't make you look good. It's not a smart move to make because it doesn't make sense. If you have someone on your team that is able to put up over 100 points in 56 games and your team still manages to lose or not make it past the first round, whatever you want to say, it's not him that sucks. It's not him that should be traded. It's the entirety, it's it's the whole team that needs to 
check itself. It's the whole team that needs to reflect and take a look and say, what did we do? We have someone like McDavid and we weren't able to, you know, to take advantage of that. That's how you got to look at this situation. You don't pick on one guy. And this is what I had been talking about, that the Oilers are a one-line team. And I was saying that the Jets just had to shut down their top guys. That's all they had to do. Shut down McDavid, shut down Dreisaitl. And that's exactly what the Jets did, and they got rewarded for it. That was their only task, the Jets' only task going into this series. And they took advantage of it, and they got rewarded for it. Their goaltending, the Oilers' goaltending, obviously didn't help either. When they were collapsing, that 4-1 to collapse, those goals that went in were definitely savable. But back to their lack of depth, the only time the Oilers were able to score more than one goal in the series is when McDavid and Dreisaitl contributed in Game 3. There's something wrong with that. The Oilers have lost 80% of McDavid's multi-point playoff games. Come on. You have someone that's able to produce for you, perform for you, have multi-point playoff games, which is hard in itself to do in the playoffs, and you're losing 80% of those games. That's a one-line team. That's the definition of a one-line team. You have someone that can do that, but the rest of the team can't step up and take advantage. Now, if you want, you can draw parallels to the Leafs. I would say you're wrong because... You can look at someone like Matthews and Marner and say, these two brought us to the playoffs, which they did. It's true. Matthews' production, Marner's production were heavily, they heavily contributed to the Leafs making the playoffs this year. I 100% agree on that. But I would disagree in someone saying that we are a one-line team. If the playoffs, if this series and the playoffs proved anything for the Leafs is that they have depth and that they do not need to rely on one line. All the scoring we've gotten has been from Nylander, it's been from Spezza, it's been from, uh, I don't even remember who else scored, our defenders too have been scoring like crazy. So you can't really draw that parallel. I mean, I see how you can kind of, how you would want to, you know, you have someone like Matthews and the, the Leafs can't take advantage of that and whatever. I mean, we can't say that yet because game seven hasn't happened. But anyway, I've seen people trying to draw those parallels and I just wanted to shut it down because it's not, the teams are not the same in any fashion. They're not the same. Anyway, so that's my little spiel on McDavid. I just, I kind of feel for him because the fan base just like turned on him it must be frustrating for him too you have to imagine being a player that he is being able to do what he does and then having a team that isn't able to you know work behind you and support you and give you some wins in those multi-point playoff games that you have or basically give you credit for the fact that you just scored over 100 points in 56 games for us or for their team that is that must be super frustrating for him. I know he's probably never going to admit it, but it definitely has to be frustrating to not have your team be able to support you in that way. But let's move on to the next series. So we have Vegas and Minnesota. We know Vegas came through. The series completely flipped after uh, games two to four, where the Knights completely dominated. Games five and six were all Minnesota. And in game six, Vegas was without four regulars. They were without McNabb, uh, COVID, uh, COVID protocol, Reeves for undisclosed reasons, Pacioretty and Nosek have been out for a while. So they were without a few. They were able to pull through though. So Knights were able to advance. Then we have Islanders and Penguins. Islanders advanced. It was a close series. Uh, it was missed opportunity for Pittsburgh. That was, I mean, you heard uh, Crosby and I think someone else, Latang, I think it was, can't remember, were basically saying, you know, that it was a missed opportunity for them and they realized that 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 it was and that they could have done better and blah, blah 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 so it sucks missed opportunity for pittsburgh islanders advanced and then we had carolina and nashville carolina advanced another super tight series towards the latter half of the series games three to six all went to overtime so definitely super entertaining games three and four went to double ot and then five and six for single ot definitely an entertaining series there as well and then Tampa and Florida, Tampa advanced. This, as I've said many times before, is the mo- has been or was the most entertaining series from the first round. I know a lot of people were disappointed it was over. They were hoping that it was going to go all the way. Ultimately, though, it did come down to goaltending issues. 
that's that's my opinion. It, it came down to goaltending. Florida used three different starting goalies throughout the series. Bobrovsky played game one. He led him five goals on 40 shots. Uh, he also played in game three after Dreiger was pulled. And then Bobrovsky also started game four, but then he was pulled again after giving up five goals on 14 shots. So it was not a very smooth series for Bobrovsky. And then Dreiger played in game two. He started game three, allowed five goals in the second, then he was pulled. And then he went into the second period of game four after Bobrovsky was pulled. So again, not a very smooth series for him either. And then they finished off the series with Spencer Knight, their rookie, in game five with 36 saves. And he gave them a win. So it was the rookie at the end of the day that kind of pulled through for the team. Again, not enough. Another big difference was, of course, Kucherov. We all knew that that was going to happen. He had seven points throughout the series, three goals and eight assists. He was on fire. All right, so let's go to the round two predictions. Let's start with Bruins and Islanders. They started on Saturday. I'll recap the game after I give a series preview. So Islanders goaltending has possibly shocked everyone with Sorokin, the rookie, winning all four appearances that he played in. Uh, Varlamov had a tougher time. He lost in games two and three. Rask has always been dependable for the Bruins. There's no question about that. So the Islanders goaltenders are going to have to step it up if scoring is going to be harder for them. Rask in the playoffs is a different beast. Like the Bruins in the playoffs are a different beast. So, you know, Islanders might have been able to get away with it with Pittsburgh also having, you know, goalie uncertainty. So scoring was you know, by definition, a little bit easier for them in the first series. So this series, they're going to have to step it up in terms of scoring. And if they're not able to, they're the Islanders goaltenders are going to have to step up big, a lot bigger than they did in the first series. And on that, we know that the Bruins are a strong one-line team for the most part. They get most of their scoring from their top line. So they're also going to need to step that up and become more balanced in their scoring. I know they've gotten, you know, a few from Hall. They've gotten help from Hall and and a few other guys. So they are starting to spread out and balance their scoring. But they're going to have to work on that a little bit more to, uh, to support Rask, basically. My prediction is Boston. I hate to say it. Uh, I just think that once they get rolling in the playoffs... They're just the type of team to keep it going, and they just get bigger and badder and better each round. It's like a snowball effect. Uh, every game they win, every series they win, they just get bigger and bigger. So speaking about game one, the Bruins took it by winning 5-2. to two. Boston had double the shots. It was like 20-40, 20, 20 to 40, the shots, something like that. And they just had a huge third period. Going into the third, the game was tied. Uh, it was tied 2-2, and in the third, they Boston just exploded and got... Got three goals there, so I'm taking Boston for that series. In terms of the number of games, all these round two series, they look like they can go seven games. This one, I think, might be the only one where I would say maybe six or maybe five games. I definitely think the Islanders are going to take home uh, one or two games for sure. All right, so that's the story for that series. Basically, it's it's goaltending that's going to have to step up for Islanders and scoring that's going to have to step up for Islanders. And then for Boston, it's going to be scoring that has to become more balanced. All right, so moving on, Carolina and Tampa. Goaltending has been great for both teams with Vasilevsky and the Hurricanes goalie. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. Two evenly matched teams skill-wise and playing style-wise. Like, they play similar. They have... I, they're pretty evenly matched in my opinion they seem to be anyway Tampa has you know skill wise Tampa has Kucherov, Stamkos, Kalorn, a lot of others as well Hurricanes have Aho, Stahl, Svechnikov and others as well they all have their their core skill guys their core scorers my prediction is Tampa I think they just have the slight advantage because of experience because of toughness I, they definitely seem like the tougher team to me in terms of being physical and all of that. So if they're able to use that to their advantage, then maybe they'll be able to able to pull through scoring wise. Again, like I just think t- Tampa has a slight advantage. They're pretty they're pretty even the two teams, but I see Tampa as having the upper hand in goaltending, in scoring, in skill, defense. I see them having the upper hand in every category slightly. So that is my prediction there. In terms of the number of games, again, like I said, I can see it going all seven. 
And then the last series that has been set is Colorado and Vegas. Colorado had a lot of rest, and for a team like Colorado, rest does them good. You don't really have to guess what team, like what Colorado team is going to step onto the ice their first game back. They've had a lot of rest. That'll do them good. Uh, Vegas just finished, which could also be a good thing. Um, And the reason I'm, I mean, it could be bad because a lot of their games went to overtime. But the reason that I'm saying the fact that they don't have a lot of rest and that they just finished could be good is because it's almost like they're on a roll. Sometimes when teams have a break, it could affect them negatively. So, you know, the fact that they kind of just came off of a series win, some of them might be tired, but I feel like the momentum and the energy and all of that kind of will prevent them from feeling the tiredness. So it it could be good for them coming coming fresh off of that win. The Knights are also getting Pacioretty back. Both Colorado and Vegas are going to need, uh, they're going to need their goalies to step up. And Grubauer and Fleury, they're going to need them to stand tall because both teams thrive on their offense. Both teams thrive on their scoring, and that's no secret. So their goalies are definitely going to have to step up. I'm going with Colorado just because this season they've been on another level. And in the playoffs, same thing, on a whole other level. You can also argue that maybe... Colorado's opponents in the first round wasn't as strong as Vegas's opponent in the first round. You could argue that, but regardless, I think that anyone who Colorado played in the first round, they would have been able to overpower. So I'm going with Colorado. And the last series that hasn't been set yet, Winnipeg and Leafs or Habs. We all know who I want the second team in the series to be. Coming up next, though, I'm going to recap the Leafs and Habs series so far, go through a few of the games, and then we'll we'll see where we can go from there. So everyone stay tuned. Alright, it is now time to recap the last few games, games 3 to 6 in the Leafs-Habs series. Like I said, emotional roller coaster, ups and downs. But, like I also said, I knew that I can't remember if it was on one of my episodes or one of uh, another podcast that I had joined, I predicted that it was either going to be a complete sweep, four games, or it was going to go all the way to seven. There would be no in-between. And the reason I said that was because I feel like with the Leafs, once we lose a game, it's almost, like I hate to say it, but it's almost guaranteed that the next one, the next one is going to be a loss because the, the way that the Leafs work is they get so, it seems, I don't know, exactly but it seems like they get so bogged down after after one loss and you'll you look at it they went up 3-1 came down 3-2 and now the series is tied 3-3 once the the Leafs lose a game there's a lot of back and forth I mean you look they were able to win three in a row that's huge and you know you would think that because they were able to win three in a row that now they would be able to kind of just win the last game and take it home that's not how this team works if history has taught us anything that that it's that this is not how this team works don't know why don't know what what goes on or what doesn't go on what's maybe missing in the locker room or whatever which is also confusing because we Dubas has given the team so much to work with on the ice in the locker room he's given them pretty much everything that a coach could or a team could hope for to have on the ice and in the dressing room so it's confusing but I, I predicted four or seven because once, you know, the Leafs lose a game, after winning, once they lose a game, it, it just flip-flops. And that's what this series was. It was just a bunch of flip-flops. Habs took the first one, we took three, and then they, you know, they took the next two. So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I know what my heart says, and my mind is saying the same thing, but it could be a bit of bias. Anyway, so let's get into some updates first. So, we know Tavares is back on the ice. Uh, he was in the arena for game five, and uh, a lot of people were, were I, it was so stupid and so confusing. A lot of people were saying the Leafs are rushing Tavares back, that they over-exaggerated about his injury and about what happened. If you were watching that game, that first game, if you were watching it, and if you saw what happened or what was happening on the ice you would not be saying anything like that that they over exaggerated or anything at that point that night no one knew no one knew what was wrong you know obviously everyone jumped to 
they jump to the worst you know they jump to you know he's he's got something wrong with his spine or something wrong with with his neck blah 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 we we jumped to the worst because if if you saw what was happening on the ice you would have done the same thing so part of me wonders whether the people saying these things like that the Leafs over exaggerated the injury and are rushing him back and all that were you were you watching the game that's what part of me thinks uh, but anyway so I don't think they're rushing him back he wasn't participating like he went out for for a light skate was you know just on his own doing whatever. So, I mean, he's got to do it at some point, right? And he had the concussion, which for every player, concussions are different. There's no, concussions are different for every person. There's no set timeline. There's no set symptoms or set, uh, you know, feelings. Like one person could feel it a lot worse than another. Concussions are so unpredictable in terms of uh, recovery and the effect it has and all that. Uh, but then he also has the knee the knee injury, which we know is about two weeks because the same thing happened to Hyman. So I don't think they're rushing him back. I think it's important for him to, you know, get back on the ice and start trying to skate lightly, of course. I mean, he's a professional. He knows his limits. He's not going to do something stupid. He's got a young family and all that stuff. So people saying that are just stupid. Uh, Felino was out with a lower body injury as well. He did come back in game six. Um, my gut says he should have stayed out. And my gut also says that he should possibly stay out for game seven too, but we'll get into that. So game three, Leafs won two to one. The game was pretty even uh, between the teams. It, it came close at the end, but the Leafs were able to hold on. And then game four, Leafs won four nothing. Campbell got his first uh, his first playoff shutout, which was awesome for him because he's been absolutely outstanding this entire series for us. Dermott was also in this game. Sandine was out. A lot of people had mixed feelings about this. Same as me. And the reason is because... I think the main reason is because of the power play. I mean, to me, this series... During the regular season, Sandine's 5-on-5 game was 100 times better than uh, Dermott's. But in the playoffs, in my opinion, their 5-on-5 game has been relatively similar. You look at the last game that Der, uh, that Dermott was a part of in Game 6... He was offensive. He had a few shots. He had a few good looks, and he was participating in in the offensive plays and stuff. You know, he he's pretty good five on five. Sandine, same thing, offensive, whatever. The only advantage that der, that sorry Sandine has is the power play. That's the only slight advantage he has in being put in the lineup over Dermot. So that could be argued, but the power play looked okay in Game Six. You could argue with me, whatever. I don't care. We didn't score, but it looked structured. You know, we had a lot of... They're shooting a lot more on the power play. Riley is also a lot more offensive. So I think the fact that Riley has been a lot more offensive also justifies having Dermot in and Sandine out because previously... Riley has not been very offensive. He hasn't really been taking shots, but he's been participating a lot more in rushes and stuff. So I guess that kind of makes up for the the absence of Sandine, which I'm I'm okay with because Riley's been looking really well. He's been looking good. But back to the power play, I mean, in game six, it looked structured. Okay, we were getting shots. Price was Price was Price was really good on on Saturday in game six, which I hate to say, but he. If it wasn't for him, we would have easily taken that game. So, having said that, I mean, Sandine's advantage of being in the lineup kind of dissipates. And now, going into a Game 7, would you even consider, you know, having Sandine in there for a power play when his presence on the power play, yeah, has made the power play look stronger, but hasn't, you know, guaranteed that they're going to get a goal. He, there's still been power play shifts where Sandine's been on there and the power play's been horrible. So it's kind of a gamble putting Sandine in there just for the power play when we know, regardless, the power play isn't the strongest. And it kind of looked the same last game as it did with Sandine in there uh, versus him, like, not being in there. It kind of looks relatively the same. Uh, so it's a gamble, either going with that and taking that risk of, banking on the fact that the power play will score with Sandine on there or you know taking another gamble going the other way and saying let's go with experience their five on five game is similar let's go with experience instead that seems like the choice to me experience or or power play and um I mean they both made mistakes you can look at game six that was uh Dermot you can look at 
uh, the pre uh, one of the previous games, I can't remember which one it was, where Sandine gave up, or it wasn't really Sandine's fault, but the couple mistakes he made a few games ago. Um, so, I mean, I don't know, do you judge someone like Dermot on that one mistake he made last game, or do you give him another chance to kind of redeem himself? And this decision might not even matter because of Muzzin. I haven't seen an update on him yet, so I'm not 100% sure if he's going to be available for Game 7 or not. But if he's not, then this decision isn't going to matter anyway. So, But that's kind of the difference I see, whether you gamble on the power play by putting Sandine in or you you gamble on uh, his experience and the fact that maybe he made a mistake, so he kind of wants to redeem himself. I don't know. We'll have to see. So, anyway, back to game four where the Leafs won for nothing. They played a complete game. This is also the game where Galchenyuk absolutely exploded against his former team. He had those really nasty assists, and he was just on fire this game. We also got a power play goal with uh, by Thornton as well. So, again, see, Sandin was out. Power play generated a goal. So, again, it's a gamble, but we're not going to get into that again. So, Again, game four, great game. Game five, Habs took it four to three in overtime. Game started off bad. The first period was not their finest, the Leafs' finest. It reminded me how they played in game one, how they were kind of, like, they were getting, like, little chances, but they were kind of, like, all over the place. And also, one thing I noticed was that the Habs were not physical at all in game five. I don't care what the stats say because those the stats that they have, the number of hits per team, I don't know where they get them from. I don't think they're accurate at all. But the Habs were not physical at all this game in Game 5. If the Leafs have cap- had capitalized on that and been more physical rather than kind of stoop down to how the Habs were playing and try and match the Habs by also being less physical, they could have overpowered them easily. If we were playing like we were when we won the 4 nothing, throwing hits, you know, throwing bodies around, playing tough, all that. We could have overpowered them this game for sure because they weren't being physical at all. But the Leafs did have a nice comeback. Muzzin and Galchenyuk were a huge part of that. Muzzin got the two goals in the third that tied the game up. It was a perfect opportunity for us to take it in overtime. There was a bad mistake, like I said, at the blue line. Bogosian pinched and then Galchenyuk. It absolutely sucks that it was Galchenyuk too because he was having you know, he was having a great series. He is still having a great series. I'm not judging him on that one mistake because everyone makes those, those single mistakes. You can't just blame it on that one guy. Anyway, that mistake led to the, the 2-1-0, which in overtime should never, never really happen. We know that our, our defense is notorious for, for pinching in and they have been pretty good with it this series. It was just this one time. I really wish that, that they didn't. And Actually, you can see that they learned from it because in game six, uh, in that overtime, the D were not pinching at all. The second that they realized the puck was not going where they wanted it to be, they stepped back. So you do have to point that out. The thing that I did love about this game, despite the loss, was how the Leafs, they didn't do the typical Leaf thing and collapse when they were down 3 nothing. That's, you know, they had the heart, they had the drive. Once they scored that first goal, they just kept, they kept going at it. They were able to keep pressing and it almost fully paid off and I think the most frustrating thing was that we came back and lost and that was just really frustrating that they did all that work and then it didn't pay off. Um, and then also the first line, it's just been too quiet, that's just been the story. Alright, last game, game 6, Habs took it 3-2, to two. exact same game as game 5 pretty much where the Leafs were able, in the sense that the Leafs were able to come back in the third and force the overtime. All the goals this game... For both teams were lucky and they all went off tips none of them were nice goals none of them were pretty goals even the overtime goal that was a tip as well so you know none of them were play of the week worthy or whatever you want to call it I want to talk about the goalie interference challenge because again I saw a lot of mixed emotions I think it was a good challenge and the reason I'm saying that is because first of all if Keith didn't challenge it we would all have been saying that he should have you know at the end of the game when they when when they lost we all would have been saying oh like he should have challenged it like we were we were gonna lose anywhere I don't know whatever excuse people would have thought up because we know that Leafs fans love making up these you know extreme theories they would have said oh if he had challenged it then it would have given us a chance blah 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 so either way I think people would have been mad at Keith so that's number one 
Number two, though, I think it was I think it was fair. It was a fair challenge. I mean, with the Leafs, I guess Keith could have considered that we never had goalie interference calls go go in favor of the Leafs. But I can see the reason with this one. Campbell did have trouble going back to his net. If maybe Campbell had, I guess, I don't know, been a little bit more aggressive in trying to get back in his crease, maybe it would have been different. But there was definitely a case to be made there. I don't think that it was it was out of the blue that he made he made that challenge. Felice Felino. Felino was also back in this game. I didn't really like his play, didn't really do anything for me. I preferred when Kerfoot was on that line with Nylander and Galchenyuk uh, on the second there. I just think that they they connect better. I'll be talking about them later too. The only difference with uh, this game and the last game is that the first overtime was not good at all on the Leafs' behalf, but the second overtime in game six, we were dominating. The whole overtime, we were dominating. We had all the shots, the Habs, I'm pretty sure they only had three shots, two or three shots maybe, in overtime. And then, of course, one of them went off the deflection and poor decision at the blue line. He had, Dermot had a clear, uh, had a clear lane to get the puck out, but he failed, failed to do so. Again, not gonna blame him for one mistake that he made, which is easy for people to do. But at the end of the day, we had so many chances in that overtime we were dominating if one of those close shots had gone in, you know, it's that's what makes it frustrating is because we dominated the entire end half of the third and the entire overtime, which makes it a lot more frustrating. And the top line again, I really hope they can stand up along the other lines that have been standing up. The second, third, sometimes the fourth, like with Spezza, they have been, you know, doing really well. The first line... Last game, they looked better. In game six, they looked better. They had a lot more chances, a lot more offensive zone time. They just, they couldn't get it in the net. And, um, you know, I, I hope that that performance that they had in game six is kind of a step up and that they're able to kind of push even harder in game seven and finally get a goal or two. I mean, it would be really nice for each of the guys on that top line to be able to get a goal. Uh, but it's they just need to step up that top line game seven you know they've they've got to do it they've been quiet all series it's a game seven perfect opportunity for them to stand up and prove everyone wrong prove all those doubters wrong so I hope that they're able to to kind of stand up and back up all the other lines uh, for all that they've done all series all right so coming up next I am going to discuss the player of the week we're going to go over some main takeaways and I am going to discuss a couple topics at the end that I think you're all going to want to stay for. So stay tuned. All right, everyone. So you've heard all my predictions for round two. Now we're going to take a break from Tone and we are going to hear from a returning guest, Danielle. Hi, everyone. It's her birthday today, so <laughs> she's in a good mood. All right, so we're going to take a break from Tone, and right now we are. I'm going to ask her about her round two predictions. We're also going to chat about a bit about the Leaf series and predictions for game seven. So let's get started. Round two predictions, Bruins, Islanders, who do you have? Bruins, for sure. Why? Because it's Boston. Yeah. Um, I, they just... It's... It's always Boston. Yeah, I I had the same reasoning. I think they won the first game five to two, but like besides that, Boston is is Boston. When they start winning, they don't really stop. stop. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. Hurricanes. Lightning. Lightning. Lightning for sure. They have a lot of key players. They've got Stamkos, Kucherov, and those two players on their own, and the help of the rest of the team, obviously, but. Yeah, I think the goaltending is gonna is big yeah. for them too. But the key players definitely. I said the same thing. Kucherov has been on a tear since he came back and started the the playoffs with them. So I definitely agree. And the only other series that has been uh, set for round two: Colorado and Vegas. Vegas, Vegas Golden Knights, because they have a strong team. They're proving themselves more and more each season since they started. They're a strong team. That's why I chose them. Yeah. I, I don't know. I chose Colorado. I just think that, I mean, Colorado swept their series. Yeah. And they've, I don't know, they've been on another level this whole season, not just the playoffs. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, I think that one's going to go seven games. 
uh, Colorado and uh, Vegas. No. Knights and six. Okay. Well, whatever. Okay, okay, let's do that. Bruins and Islanders. How many games do you think that one's going to go to? Bruins and four. They're sweeping. Oh, okay. I can see that one going like six, no, I think. No, no. Um, okay, Hurricanes and Lightning. Tampa on five. All right. I I think I agree with that one, actually. Um, and then Colorado and Vegas, you said, what did you say again? You say five games? Six games? You I think I said six. I don't remember. I think that one's going to go seven. I think all these series have the potential to go to seven because I think they're very, like, evenly matched, each mm-hmm. series. But uh, it's it's good. They're all going to be pretty entertaining, hopefully. Don't know if it's going to be as entertaining as Florida and Tampa because that was on another level. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so those are our round two predictions. What about your thoughts on the Leafs series so far? Not just this last week, just the whole series in general. I think... They were playing good at the beginning. Um, I think in terms of the whole series, that top line has done nothing. Mm-hmm. I think they've... Nylander stepped it up, and I feel like without him, and Spezza's been playing well too, I feel like without those two, the series would have been done a long time ago. Yeah. I just... That top line needs to step it up a bit. I don't know if it's nerves or whatever it is, but... Yeah, I agree. I think the the story the story of the series has definitely been the depth of the Leafs, I would say, because, you know, you look at a team like Edmonton where they're like a one-line scoring team and because, you know, McDavid was like held off the score sheet, they weren't able to push through, but like with the Leafs it's it's the opposite where we've had scoring from our second, third and fourth line. The first line has been the one that's not scoring. So that it it could be taken good and bad it's it's a good sign because you know we know that we don't have to rely on Matthews and Marner but in times like this you need them yeah I I really I I hope that they've realized that they uh they need to step up and I don't know I I feel like game seven for them we're at home I know there's no fans but we're at home uh it's it's a game seven I just hope I don't know. I I have a different feeling than I have in the past series where they've where they've lost. I just have this different feeling. Uh, I just I don't know. I I hope that it's the right feeling. But anyways, besides the the top line and stuff, uh, what about in terms of goaltending? I think Campbell's been pretty solid for the most part. I think the first game, um, he looked very nervous, but other than that, the past three games, I think he's been pretty solid and. I just think that when, like, he can't hold them off forever, you know? If there's no support from the team, from players scoring, like, it's a, it's a two-way street. He can save goals, but the team needs to score goals. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I feel like especially, I think last night's game is a perfect example where he stopped, like, I think it was like 41 or something shots like that. But he was standing on his head all game, making mm-hmm. these unreal saves. The goals that he did let in were off of tips, so not really something that you can exactly blame him for but he was standing on his head all night he kept the game at two nothing allowed us to come back and then yeah we were just unable to and it was frustrating too in that game because in overtime we weren't able to we had we were dominating the whole period I think we had like 10 shots or something in overtime and they just had like three or something so it was frustrating. Anyway, so that's goaltending. Any other uh, any other points or, like, key players or key things? I know you mentioned Nylander and Spezza. I would have to agree. Galchenyuk also is up there for me against his mm-hmm. former team. He's been doing great. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, what about on defense? You look at the top two pairings have been pretty solid. Uh, Riley, Brody, Muzzin, and Hall. What about the last pair that has been kind of, like, mm-hmm. off They've, they've been shuffling around. It's Bogosian that's been there, but then Dermot and Sandine have been... I I like Dermot. He was my favorite player throughout the season, but I feel like Sandin deserves... He proved himself the first couple games, and I don't know. I think he, he deserves that spot for Game 7 for sure. Yeah, it, it's a, that one's a tough decision because... I feel like the leverage that Sandine has is his power, his ability on the power play, but I think I feel like five on five they're pretty even. So it's I don't know, it's a tough decision. Do you want to go with experience? Then you go with uh, Dermot. If you want to try and 
lift your power play then you go with sandine but then Mm -hmm. at the same time it's like with sandine there the power play hasn't been that much better so i don't know it's that one's tough but overall if you could describe the series so far in one word what word would you use terrifying all right that's my word (laughs) all right stressful yeah stressful is a good one terrifying (laughs) annoying stressful those are a few of the words but it's exciting exciting yeah it's also been exciting and entertaining because i mean we went up 3-1 and in the last two games even though we lost them in the last i don't know six seven minutes maybe we were able to come back in both of those games that's it it was pretty entertaining yeah we got let down in overtime but regardless uh, it's uh it's been pretty painful to my eardrums as well yes for both of us (laughs) Okay, so let's go to game seven. Predictions. Let's do a final score. Let's do, obviously, winning team and opening goal score. Okay. Winning team? Leafs. Leafs in seven. (laughs) Um, I think it's going to be three to two Leafs. Okay. That's... That sounds like a stressful score to have, a one-goal lead, but... And I think opening goal scorer is going to be Zach Hyman. I hope... I hope it's the first line that would that would help. I feel like the score is going to be I feel like it's going to be a close one actually. I have to agree with you. I think it's going to be Hyman, Spezza and a defender. Yeah. Bogosian. Okay. Hyman, good. Spezza, Bogosian. I can see a 3-2 or 4-2 score, I think, and opening goal scorer. I want it to be someone on the first line. I'd I'd want it to be I think Hyman deserves it, but Matt, I'd love to see Marner score to kind of shut everyone up uh, over, you know, what they've been saying about him this series. I'd love for it to be him. I'd love for him to also score the game-winning goal, but we will have to see. I think once they get through this series, Marner and Matthews are going to... I think it's like the... It's going to sound stupid, but like the first series jitters, you know? No, it's true. It, that's what has been the last how five seasons they've made it to the playoffs or whatever it is uh it's i don't know i i thought it was going to be different too because of the leadership that they have in there they've never had this many vets on in the lineup before spezza simmons thornton uh felino trying to think of others Tavares before he got injured uh but he's still obviously present but regardless um i thought it was going to be different because because of leadership but i don't know maybe it still is maybe right now as we're talking they're also talking and having uh this huge you know um pep talk amongst the players and everything so we don't know but hopefully leaders step up hopefully the first line steps up thank you for joining me for and providing these predictions on on your birthday you're welcome (laughs) thanks everyone for the birthday wishes (laughs) (laughs) oh everyone's sending you virtual birthday wishes (laughs) virtual hugs (laughs) okay so we'll stop there thanks for uh taking a break from tome with me and thank you for welcoming danielle back to the podcast hopefully we'll have her back again soon Go Leafs go! Yes, go Leafs go and stay tuned. Coming up, we're going to be talking about the player of the week and the main takeaways. All right, so player of the week. I had a few options. The ones that I didn't choose, I'm going to give them an honorable mention and talk about them in the main takeaways. I ended up going with Galchenyuk and, you know, he's got one goal, three assists uh, for four points in five games. Game four was the one where he exploded. He made all those sweet passes that created the goals. He's just been unbelievable. And he's also been stepping up physically too, which we all know the Leafs are in need of right now. We need someone to get in there, throw some bodies around, step up, throw some hits, be tough. And he's he's been able to do that the last few games. Also, you have to consider Galchenyuk took the void created when Tavares got injured, that hole that was created on the second line, and he's done a relatively well job trying to fill that hole on that line. It's it's a big role to fill. It's a big hole to fill, a huge void that was left there, and he's him and Nylander have been able to connect with one another and they've been able to to stand up together and you know get the job done on more than one occasion. So he has he has been huge. He's been huge for that second line. He's been huge for the team. And he's been huge for Nylander because we know that, you know, Nylander had been playing with Tavares all season. And now he was, you know, without him, he was kind of 
left with people that he hadn't played with as much, like for example with Felino. And so putting Galchenyuk there with him, definitely a good decision because it gave him a sense of familiarity and those two together did great in the regular season too. So he's my player of the week. Now we're going to go into the main takeaways. I've got quite a few. One of them is don't let up, ever. The Leafs can't ever let up. Games 5 and 6 prove that. Always keep pushing because the Habs get flustered. We saw them get flustered in both games 5 and 6. Game 4 proved it too, to never let up. When they went up 4 nothing, they kept pressing, they kept scoring, and it paid off. It sucks that in game 6, they... I mean, game five too, mostly game six because they also dominated in overtime. But in both those games, they pressed and they pressed and they pressed, but they weren't able to put it in the net. But they have to keep going in games like that, not make stupid mistakes, you know, when... And they had been doing that. In all of that overtime in game six, they had been refraining from making stupid plays. When the D-men got it in the zone, it was one pass and the puck was out. So they had been doing that. They learned from the last game. They learned from their mistakes. They knew that they couldn't play with it and that they just had to get the puck and get it out. And they'd been doing that the entire overtime period, which allowed us to have all that offensive zone time and overtime and allowed us to get all those shots on net. What ended up happening? Well, you know, there was that one play and it 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 only takes one play, one mistake. And it sucks because whoever makes that mistake is kind of put on the chopping block. But it was uh, Dermot who, who failed to get it out. He had the clear lane and whatever. But it, it just sucks because they pressed and they pressed. And they deserved it too after being able to come back and after being able to dominate like they did in, in, in the overtime period. Anyway, not going to get into that again. But just don't let up ever. You get a goal, you go up. You, you don't let up, you, you keep pressing. All right, so the second takeaway I have is keep up the physicality. Even if the other team drops it and they're not playing physical, like the Habs in games five and six, don't stoop down to their level. Don't decrease your physicality just because they did. Don't try and match their style of play. You play the way you can play and you leave it up to the other team to try and match you. You don't stoop down a level and try and match them. It doesn't really make sense. If we had been as physical as we had been in games two to four, we might have been able to take advantage of the fact that the Habs were not being physical and we would have been able to overpower them. You look at how we played in game four, where we came up for nothing. What were we doing? We were playing physical. We were playing an all-around game. We were playing a defensive game. We were playing an offensive game, a physical game. We were doing everything. That's what they have to keep doing. You know, in games in games five and six, what was the common theme? We weren't being as physical. We weren't being as tough or as, you know, as tough on the puck because we were trying to match what the Habs were doing. We, we shouldn't be doing that. We should be forcing the other team to go up a level and match us. That's when we're going to catch the Habs because that's when the Habs get flustered. And that's when, if you notice, that's when they start getting chippy. That's when they start, that's when the Habs start taking penalties. That's when they start, you know, hitting us around and getting penalties for it. That's what we have to do in game seven. That's going to be the key to game seven. Playing to our highest abilities which we saw in games two to four, playing in our highest, with our highest abilities, playing our best style, doing our best, not thinking about how the Habs are playing, just focusing on how we're playing and playing our best, playing to our abilities, being tough, using the fourth line for toughness, you know, all all lines being tough, all lines being defensive and coming back, all that, and you force the Habs to match us because like I said, they're going to get flustered. It's a game seven, especially, they're going to get flustered. They're going to start getting chippy. They're going to start, you know, start whining and start flopping all over the place and getting penalties and running with like chickens, running with their heads cut off. That's what they have to do for game seven. All right. So the next takeaway I have is the first line. Where are they? No one knows. They look off like they don't fit together anymore. Matthews isn't shooting like he can. He's still top on the puck, still good defensively. He still comes back. He's still throwing his body around, making good plays, but he's not the Austin Matthews. When he takes shots, it's not the Austin Matthews shot. It's different. He looks off. Timing looks off. Everything kind of looks like, almost looks like it doesn't belong. Like it's like, who is this guy that's on the ice? Which I don't really like saying. But it's the same with Mitch. I'm going to talk more about him later too, but he hasn't been passing like he can. His passes are off. The plays that he's making are 
more riskier than usual but also those risky plays he's able to pull off he hasn't really been able to pull off these risky plays he's been giving away the puck a lot he's been been falling he got that stupid penalty in game six uh throwing the puck over he hasn't been himself either Hyman same kind of thing he's still able to throw his body around still able to get in there be gritty be tough on the puck and all of that but again he's having trouble connecting he looks off too it seems like Marner and Matthews can't find each other on the ice anymore as well with the seamless passes they used to be able to make it did look like they started to pull together last game, the first line, Matthews, Marner, and Hyman. In game six, they were getting a lot more offensive time, and they were getting a lot more chances on net. So, hopefully, they come back home, they take that, they come back home, fire it up, because we need them now more than ever. Game seven, do or die, basically. So, they, they just need to take the momentum they had in Game 6 and they need to put it on the ice and more in Game 7. And going off of that, the next takeaway is the depth. It's been proven without having the first line. You look at the second line with Nylander and Felino and Galchenyuk or Nylander, Galchenyuk and Kerfoot when Felino wasn't in. Also, the third line with Makaev, Simmons and Kerfoot or Engvall when Engvall's been there. Both of those lines have been stepping up big with the absence of production with the first line. If we were a one-line team, we would have been in a lot more trouble a lot sooner. So we should be very thankful that Dubas gave us the complimentary pieces and the depth that he did because it has definitely been paying off for us this series. Alright, so the next takeaway, defense. Now, some of you might disagree with me based on the last couple games, but hear me out. Defense has been strong. They've been scoring they've been producing, they've been defending like crazy. We've gotten 11 points from our D, 5 goals, and 6 assists. They've been scoring, they've been getting it in the net, or at least helping to get it in the net. They are responsible for the two overtime losses with Bogosian pinching in, which was made worse by Galchenyuk, and also Dermot failing to clear the puck out in Game 6. So I know a lot of you are going to be looking at those couple mistakes and saying our defense has been garbage. That's not a fair statement. I know that Leafs fans like judging people based off of a couple things wrong that they've done because that's all Leafs fans ever do. We can't do that here. We can't be doing that here. Because if you compare those two mistakes, one which really wasn't a a defender's mistake, but if you compare those two mistakes to all the pros, the 11 points coming from our defensemen, a a defense squad that previously on this team was horrible was bad unreliable look at the uh, the defensive core that we have now it's so reliable they are so strong they are throwing hits you look at muzzin um he could be out now but you look at someone like muzzin or bogosian they throw their bodies around you look at someone like brody he's always back there he always gets back and he also scored in the last game you also look at someone like riley he's been a lot more offensive in the last few games which we need from him So you can complain all you want about the fact that they possibly caused those last two overtime losses, but you cannot forget everything they have done this entire series. You can't. You can't trash them just because of those two mistakes when they have done so much for us the entire series. They've stuck up for Campbell so many times in scrums and after whistles and all of that. And it sucks that people judge off of a single mistake, but you can't just forget about everything they've done. So there's that. Um, and then we have the power play and penalty kill. Penalty kill has been great up until last game. It was absolutely phenomenal. Power play, still not the best. It has looked a bit more promising in the last few games, more structured and taking a lot more shots, a lot more shots from the point as well. Still, they kind of move the puck a little slow. I wish they would pick up the passes and stuff. It looks like they think too much. Um, at some point when they just kind of hold on to the puck and wait like, you know, like 10 seconds or whatever before they make a pass. I did wish they would move the puck a little bit faster, but they are shooting more, which is a good sign. Again, with the power play in game six, even if we had capitalized on just one, because I've said before, you know, we're not asking them to capitalize on every single power play, but even in this game, if they had just capitalized on one of the two that they got, it would have made a completely different game. Definitely. 
I don't know if it would have stolen the game, but it would have made a completely different game. And the power play does look better overall. They're, like I said, they're shooting more and everything. Just can't get it in the back of the net. All right, so moving on, another huge takeaway, I think, is leadership. And this takeaway is going to be huge going into game seven. For leaders, this is their time to shine. This is their time to use their experience and their presence to the team's advantage. It's the time for this huge veteran presence that Dubas has gifted us with to finally pay off. Put it to use. Listen to them. Learn from them. Let them have the room. Let them talk. You know, let Thornton stand up there. Let someone that's a vet stand up there. Give a nice speech. Give a, give a pep talk or something because these young guys need it. And I know, especially for guys like Matthews and Marner and Nylander that have been in the playoffs, you know, for whatever it is, I think five seasons now or however long they've they've been on the team and not never getting past that first round, this is when leaders and vets are are huge. We need them right now. You also look at people like Dermot, Hall, Sandine, they need it. They need to have this leadership presence because without it, these guys, Matthews, Marner, Sandine, Dermot, they don't they're they don't know how to change. They don't know what to do in game seven to forget the last two games. Leadership is going to be the make or break for them. And we don't know what goes on in the locker room or on the bench. We don't know what's said on practice days between players, between coaches and players. We don't know. So all we can do is hope that these leaders are able to step up because it's that's going to be a huge factor alongside like being physical and stuff. It's going to be a huge contributing factor in game seven. So let's move to the second line and they've been huge. I talked about the first line. We know their troubles. The second line has stepped up in their place massively. You have Kerfoot, Nylander, and Galchenyuk. Felino did step in there. Didn't like having him there. But those three, Kerfoot, Nylander, Galchenyuk, they connect just like Hyman Matthews and Marner do. Or like Hyman Matthews and Marner are capable of doing. They have been on another level. You look at game four, perfect example. Even in the last, the last couple games, they've been absolutely amazing together. The passing and knowing where each other are on the ice at all times, it's just really fun to watch. And they're so successful at producing uh, points and producing offensive chances. It's It's fun to watch. It's entertaining, especially with Tavares out. Those three have stepped up big time. And I talked about how that hole on that second line is massive. It is huge, so big. And Nylander kind of got the worst of it because then he got paired with Felino, who, you know, not really as familiar with him. But then, you know, you throw Nylander with two guys that he's played with all season, Galchenyuk, the latter half of the season, and Kerfoot in the beginning of the season. You throw those guys together and they connect so well. I would much rather prefer having those three together rather than having Felino there uh, and then putting Felino on the third instead with Mikhaev and Engvall um, and then having the original fourth line that we started with because Spezza, Thornton, and Simmons I thought were they were a bruiser line they were really good to have together because you know Spezza can still produce they still had a lot of offensive time but you put them on at the end of a period or when things are getting tough or when you're trying to defend a lead they will get the job done those three together I definitely think the original fourth line should be put back how it was and you put McIve and Engvall back together because they are good complements for each other as well with their speed and then you throw Felino on there as the center to try and to try and get something going. I definitely think that would that line setup would be more beneficial definitely because we need scoring and definitely because we need scoring on price. I would put Kerfoot, Nylander and Galchenyuk back together. And speaking of, um, I talked about Galchenyuk already, player of the week. Nylander, I've talked about endlessly already. Kerfoot, he's got, I'm pretty sure, four assists and a goal in five games as well. So he's been he's been racking up the points as well. He's been doing great. So I, I definitely think those two are great compliments for Kerfoot's performance as well. All right, so let's get into honorable mentions now to end it off. Muzzin created the comeback in game five, scoring two goals at the end of the third. His defensive game has been on another level lately in these playoff games. He's been very physical, standing up, you know, defending Campbell. He did leave the game, like I said, on Saturday, didn't return. Another honorable mention, Campbell. He's just been amazing for the team, especially in game six. He was standing on his head. The goals that did go in, like I said earlier, all of them were off of deflections. None of them were his fault, per se. 
They were more because of uh, faulty clearing or giveaways in our zone, things like that. Nothing that he could really do on most of those goals anyway. I really hope the Leafs are able to pull through in Game 7 for him because he's given them so many chances to take this series, especially last game. He Some of the shots and, and chances that he stopped were just unbelievable and he allowed them to come back and he allowed them to take it to overtime and he allowed them to dominate in the third uh, sorry in over in the overtime period so I, I just hope that they can they can give him a win because he deserves it so Nylander is my last honorable mention he was player of the week last week he has been really consistent best player on the ice overall this series uh, besides Campbell he has made a couple mistakes like taking that goalie interference penalty, which I don't really think was goalie interference. I don't think it should have been a penalty, but that's another story. He has been the most consistent I've I have probably ever seen him. I've never seen him this consistent before. This week um, alone, he has two goals and two assists, and he's a plus three. So he's still been producing. He's still been good. Again, you can't rely on just one guy. Like I said before. Nylander's been on fire. The whole second line has been on fire, but we can't rely on just them in game seven. We need the other guys to step up as well, which they have in the past. So hopefully they're still able to. So those are all my takeaways. Um, I just wanted to touch upon one thing, and this is the rant that I was promising. And I need to make two points very, very clear because I've seen, especially after game six, I've seen a lot of people just going off on the team and I get it. I understand, I fully understand the frustration. I'm frustrated myself. I'm upset myself. But am I worried? No. There's a difference. Being upset, you can be upset over a loss. We have every right to be upset that they were up 3-1 and then they lost two straight and now the series is tied 3-3. You have every right to be upset. I just think that there's, there's no point in being worried because we know what the team is capable of and the only thing that we can do right now is you know just hope that they're able to find that team find that style of play that they've been playing with all season and frankly that they've been playing with all series minus games five and six be able to find that energy that motivation that's the only thing we can do is hope i would rather have us all hope for the best than than be in a state of panic and worry so you can be upset i am too i wanted to touch upon two things one was people trashing marner and then the other was just the Leafs in general. So in regards to Marner, from my perspective, I look at it like this, and I mentioned this earlier as well. When all the Oilers fans were trashing McDavid for not performing in the playoffs and then the Oilers getting kicked out, all that Leafs fans were saying was give the guy a break. He scored over 100 points and got your team here. I saw all Leafs fans, everyone in general, every every fan base in the league, everyone, was they were telling Oilers fans, relax, he got your guy here, why, what are you trashing him for? In my mind, we're doing the exact same thing to Mitch that Oilers fans were doing to McDavid. Has he been held goalless? Yes. Does he have some assists? Yeah, he's created some goals. He also has giveaways, but he also has blocked shots. He also has a lot of scoring opportunities, and he's also taken a a couple dumb penalties. We can go back and forth all day. Him and Matthews got us to the playoffs this year. Both of them had unreal seasons. They were on fire all season, and they were the biggest reason, if not, I'm not going to say the only reason, but they were the biggest reason we got to the playoffs in the first place because of what those two were able to do for the team. So is it frustrating that Marner now is playing a bit off and and can't get the puck in the net or has trouble sometimes connecting a pass? Yeah, it's definitely frustrating. But is it reason to trash the guy and say he sucks and he should be traded? No, that's stupid. And if you're you're listening to this and you're one of the people that have said things like that, then I don't know, you might not want to listen to the rest. (laughs) We are not a one-line team. We do not need to depend on Marner and Matthews to get goals. Would it help if they both got goals? Yeah, of course it would. It would for any team if if everyone was able to score a goal. We're not a one-line team, though. We've been getting production from other lines. Every other line we've been getting production from. It would help, like I said, if the first line came up a bit in Game 7, and if they had helped in the previous six games, that would have helped too. But this is where we are now. This is the situation that we're in. So we got to deal with it now. We got to deal with it here. We don't got to look back at the last six games. This is where we are now. So we deal with it. He's a great player. 
and we're lucky to have him and anyone that says otherwise is just speaking out of frustration and out of anger because if you're trashing a guy that was able to get I don't know however many points he got he was like I don't know was he number three or four something high up there in the point total uh, out of all NHL skaters if you're trashing a guy like that you have serious issues because you can't depend on one guy in the playoffs end of story whatever we're he's a great player we're lucky to have him it sucks to see him kind of falter like this but you know everyone does literally everyone does the best of the best do look at Crosby look at McDavid he did the exact same thing so just everyone relax okay second is in regards to the Leafs team I have heard way too many people say no one on this team has heart excuse me where's that coming from I need to know because like please let me know because I would like to know seriously how in the world can someone say that? I just, like, I don't even know. I literally don't even have words to describe that. Rewind, for everyone that's saying that, rewind to the beginning of the season and rewatch the entire season. Please do that for me. That is the definition of heart. This whole season has been the definition of heart. You don't get to say things like that without, without being in the room with them, without being on the ice with them. We don't know what goes on. We don't know what is said in the, in the locker room on the bench during practice. We don't know. We don't. So don't act like you do. And don't say, oh, the regular season doesn't matter. It's the playoffs that matter. Who cares how they played in the regular season? Sorry, the last time I checked, the team has to play well in the regular season in order to make the playoffs in the first place. So your argument failed. I am frustrated, like I said, don't get me wrong. I'm very frustrated. I'm upset at the last two games 100% because we we did all the work to come back and we weren't able to finish. I am upset. You have every, we all have every right to be upset. They're probably upset too, obviously. But I'm also not calling the team trash. I'm not calling the coach trash because we don't know what's going on in there. We don't know what's being said. We don't know if the coach is telling the guys to do something and they're not listening. We don't know if the players are telling the coach you know, to try something different and he's not listening. We don't know if it's, we just don't know what the reason is. We don't know what's going on. We don't know and that's it. Being able to come back two games in a row is heart. That is heart. Being able to come back in a few minutes, goals within a few minutes of each other, down three nothing, down two nothing. That is heart. That is drive. It shows heart and not giving up. Why is this team different from all others? Because of that. So many times this season, they have proven that they are not a team that gives up, that they are different from other teams, other Leaf teams in the past. Just don't count them out because they're going to close this one out strong and they are going to play with heart like they have been all year. So I will not be hearing any arguments against that at this time because I just find that that argument has has no evidence or anything behind it because you can't, it just makes me so mad. You can't make that argument because we literally have no idea. Absolutely none. That's that's what makes me mad about people saying these things about the team having no heart or um, the stuff about Marner. How can you say things like that though? Like you don't know, you're not in the room. How do you know that, you know, Mitch isn't beating himself up about it? You know, people saying that he doesn't care, that like he doesn't care to be better. Like, where does that come from though? Where? So anyway, that was what the rant I was promising. Anyway, that's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the Take a Break from Tone and I hope you enjoyed all the predictions and the game reviews and the main takeaways and everything. And I know we're all going to be tuning in to Game 7 Monday night at 7. Next episode, we will be discussing some sort of thing that happened. I'm not going to say, but we're going to be discussing one or the other. We are going to be feeling one way or the other. So I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. I'm also nervous, like all of you probably are. Anyway, though, I hope you enjoyed the episode. And one last message, stay positive. Do not doubt them. Do not worry. They've got this. We've got this. Leafs got this. Go Leafs go. See you all next week. Once again, my name is Antonia Mendelia and I'm the hockey chick.